and welcome back. You're watching Narrative Live and our investigation into Charlie McGonigal and the biggest spy scandal in the last few decades of the FBI continues tonight. Last week, we told you about our investigation into McGonigal at the same time that he was a supervising agent in charge of the counterintelligence department at the FBI's New York field office. He was also receiving large amounts of money from the Albanian prime minister, it appears, and Albanian businessmen connected to the prime minister in order to do some really funny business at the FBI, including chasing some uh, of the opposition figures in Albania, but more importantly, creating a lot of bribery and corruption and even some vetting challenges to some of the leading politicians of Albania. That is interesting on its own, but what makes it more interesting is that he was also working for Oleg Deripaska post-retirement. Oleg Deripaska, of course, is the very prominent oligarch that's attached to Vladimir Putin in many ways. We've covered him a lot on the show. So to have someone like that very involved in Trump-Russia then have an FBI supervising agent in his employ for those years. And knowing now what we know about his previous corruption or potentially alleged corruption at the FBI, it certainly is a massive scandal worth telling. We also told you there were four former agents, including McGonigal, that had their fingerprints a little bit on some of the scandal. So even though McGonigal is the only one that has been ultimately charged right now, there are three others who maybe have turned against him. And we'll discuss that the implications of that coming up. Now, the big question is not really about how much damage did he cause once he was working for Deripaska post 2018. The real question is, if there was a corrupt agent, if there was a mole inside the New York field office, if Charlie McGonigal was corrupted for a longer period of time that preceded his check from the Albanian government, what if he was corrupt during the entire process that the investigation into Trump Russia was happening? What if he was feeding information to various sources, including maybe Donald Trump, about what was going on in the investigation? And then also what was happening with the Hillary Clinton email investigations? Those were also coming out of the same New York field office and the same departments in Washington, D.C. It's a tremendous amount of uh, complicated back-checking now that the United States FBI has to go through and figure out exactly what was compromised and what wasn't compromised if they can figure it out. But in my mind, the way things look right now, it certainly doesn't look like you can look at those years, look at those investigations, especially with all the investigations that followed it, and claim that we were, in fact, had a clean investigation into Donald Trump or a clean investigation into Hillary Clinton or her emails, and for that matter, Anthony Weiner's laptop. Now, what we know as the email scandal of 2016 is actually multiple email scandals in one. And this is why I've said here on the side here that 2016 was really a battle between these two narratives, emails on the one side, Russia versus the other side. Emails, of course, for Hillary Clinton, Russia for Donald Trump. And it was set up that way. And yet there seems to be way, a large amount of it was influenced by what was going on at the FBI. Way more now than we look at it in hindsight than we realized at the time. So there were really three aspects to, maybe even more aspects to what this email scandal itself looked like. We know that Trump Russia had various elements to it, Well, so did the email scandal. It started off with the initial email scandal, which was the one revolving the servers in the Clinton's basement, where they were housing some of the State Department's emails. You remember that was a big scandal. The second part came up when in July, when the GRU attempted to try and did in fact hack the Democratic National Committee and was able to extract a lot of emails from there that was related to other people's, not necessarily Hillary Clinton's emails, but that came out 
during that hack. There was this secondary aspect of the search for 30,000 missing emails, which uh, Donald Trump had asked his followers to do. There was, in fact, a big search for those 30,000 missing emails. Then there's a WikiLeaks aspect of the emails. And finally, towards the end of the summer, into the fall of 2016, there was the Wiener laptop discovery. And on that laptop, guess what? There were even more Hillary Clinton emails. So you can see that the email theme kept coming up again and again. And if it weren't for the FBI, if it weren't for these investigations, who knows if the emails would have even been that much of an issue in the elections. Let's take a look at exactly what I'm talking about here. But her emails, you remember that was the big funny line that everyone kept saying. The first set of investigations, let's call it the home server investigations, they were cleared by Comey on July the 5th. Then during July, there was the GRU hack of the DNC, and then there was the Papadopoulos revelations that the Russia was helping get some dirt on Hillary Clinton, and that was fed up to the FBI. George Papadopoulos turned out to be an advisor for Donald Trump, and also appears a, a witness in this prosecution against, against Russia as an attempt to provide dirt to the Trump campaign on Hillary Clinton. And then there's the Wiener laptop, which happened late October, early November. So you can see that without the FBI's consistent bringing these things up, we probably wouldn't have had as dramatic a finish to the election campaign. And that's important because, as we've been pointing out, there was potentially a mole inside the FBI New York field office. And if there was a mole inside the FBI New York field office, boy, wouldn't it be easy for them to use that information, to sell information to, to both the Trump campaign and maybe even the Clinton campaign, because so much of the events of that summer, so much of the events of that election campaign revolved particularly around this question of emails and Russia. Those are the two questions the FBI found itself prosecuting. But let's take you back now to July 5th. This is when it was all meant to be over. This is when Jim Comey stepped out. Unusually, I would say, this was not a typical press conference, but stepped out to say, hey, listen, Hillary, yes, there were some emails found on her server, but some things weren't looking so kosher. So we don't think it's a crime, but boy, we're not impressed. It's the kind of thing which is it's gonna stain the campaign no matter how you go through it. She's cleared, but something smelly going on is basically the impression you got from Jim Comey. Let's take a look at what he said that day. Although we did not find clear evidence that Secretary Clinton or her colleagues intended to violate laws governing the handling of classified information, there is evidence that they were extremely careless in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. For example, seven email chains concern matters that were classified at the top secret special access program at the time they were sent and received. Those chains involve Secretary Clinton both sending emails about those matters and receiving emails about those same matters. There is evidence to support a conclusion that any reasonable person in Secretary Clinton's position or in the position of those with whom she was corresponding about those matters, should have known that an unclassified system was no place for that conversation. In addition to this highly sensitive information, we also found information that was properly classified as secret by the U.S. intelligence community at the time it was discussed on email. That is excluding any later up-classified emails. None of these emails should have been on any kind of unclassified system. But their presence is especially concerning because all of these emails were housed on unclassified personal servers, not even supported by full-time security staff, like those found at agencies and departments of the United States government, or even with a commercial email service like Gmail. 
think it's also important to say something about the marking of classified information. Only a very small number of the emails here containing classified information bore markings that indicated the presence of classified information. But even if information is not marked classified in an email, participants who know or should know that the subject matter is classified are still obligated to protect it. Mishandling of classified information or vast quantities of information exposed in such a way as to support an inference of intentional misconduct or indications of disloyalty to the United States or efforts to obstruct justice. We do not see those things here. To be clear, this is not to suggest that in similar circumstances, a person who engaged in this activity would face no consequences. To the contrary, those individuals are often subject to security or administrative sanctions, but that's not what we're deciding now. Indeed, that wasn't what they were deciding now. That was a difficult press conference for everyone in the uh, Clinton campaign. And already in July, the Clinton campaign was so sure they were going to win. They had such an indication that they were not only the front runners, they are clearly a more polished team than Donald Trump had. And so to see Jim Comey stepping up into the limelight in July already, July, we were all, in our heads, we all remember November and October Wiener email things, but that he was doing this in July tells you a lot about how involved the FBI felt they had to be in every aspect of this election to do so. So let's follow some of this paper trail and some of this timeline that's available to us from these various investigations. There have been many, many investigations into what happened in 2016. We've tried to pull the different pieces from each of these to give us a better understanding of what happened. Between March and May, there was a lot of GRU hacking activity that happened, including the actual hack of the DNC and the DC servers. This was done out of the GRU. The Russians were compromising the, the DNC. They were clearly in favor of Donald Trump, and they had gathered these emails. They gave it to WikiLeaks, and then, as we all know, WikiLeaks published them later on. Now, while this was all happening, in May 2016, a tip came to the FBI. It came via a foreign office of the FBI, and it came from George Papadopoulos, who many of you will recall was an advisor, foreign policy advisor to Donald Trump. Mr. Papadopoulos told the FBI the Trump team had received some kind of suggestion from Russia that it could assist this process with the anonymous release of information during the campaign that would be damaging to Mrs. Clinton. So here you've got a Trump insider, although I'm not sure he revealed himself as that, but he was a Trump insider saying that the Russians were ready to step in and help to help this investigation go on. This is a, a remarkable thing because this really triggered the investigation known as Crossfire Hurricane. It really triggered the investigation of the entire FBI to really focus on Donald Trump and whether he was connected to Russia. Now think about it. Someone from the Trump-Russia campaign calls the FBI up and says, hey, well, it wasn't him, actually, it was an Australian ambassador, but never mind that, the actual evidence came from George Papadopoulos. But imagine the, the result of that is really what we're saying is that you've got the Trump campaign basically tipping the FBI off that they might be colluding with Russia. That sounds a bit ludicrous, but nevertheless, that's how it happened. Um, then came this press conference we just saw in July the 5th when Comey clears Clinton, and, and then Later in July, I don't know exact date, but I think towards the end of July, George Papadopoulos' tip reaches who? It reaches Charlie McConigal. Charlie McConigal at the time was the supervising agent in charge of the Cyber Counterintelligence Unit in Washington, D.C. This was prior 
to me moving to the New York field office in September 2016. He was still at this time, the summer of 2016, working in Washington, D.C. in the cyber counterintelligence unit, sort of hacking the counterintelligence unit. And the basic job there was to figure out if things were conflicting, if different departments were covering the same or attempting to investigate the same crimes. He resolved so many of those issues. But think about this now. I think about what, the, with the knowledge we have now that Mr. McGonigal was in fact on the payroll later on of the Albanian government, and it appears to do some trouble in Albania for the Russians. When we think about the fact that he landed up being an employee of Oleg Deripaska for an extended period of time after he left the New York field office, isn't it unusual and messy that the Trump campaign inside George Papadopoulos's tip ends up going to Deripaska's potential guy inside the FBI in Charlie McGonigal? Doesn't it just not look good that we know that's where the tip landed up going? That didn't necessarily stay there. Ultimately, it landed up being the Crossfire Hurricane investigation that was under special agent struck at the time. That investigation, as far as we know, maybe was not compromised in any way. But just the visual optics of the whole thing of having a guy like Charlie McGonigal be the recipient of that initial tip by, by George Papadopoulos certainly made me think this doesn't seem quite as, as clean as you'd imagine and certainly deserves an investigation. We certainly need to go back and figure out exactly whether Charlie McGonigal was, was involved at that time. So that's the Papadopoulos question. And it's a question that we need to ask I'd say we also need to be asking, was McGonigal involved in the Clinton email investigation? Because that is also an important question. Was he quoting things to, to Jim Comey? I know Strzok was. Peter Strzok was amongst the people who was writing those letters that Peter, that Jim McKay pushed out in, in September and October. McKay was also there. A lot of people were involved in this amalgam that became the email scandal inside the EFBI. But we haven't heard if Charles McGonigal was involved. Seems, it seems likely he would be involved, considering all the things that he used to cover, counterintelligence, cyber, field office counterintelligence, you'd think he'd be involved. The second thing we have to answer is, was there a, a George Papadopoulos connection to Charles McGonigal? Is there any possibility that whole thing was maybe a bit of a setup? George calls the, or at least the ambassador calls the, uh, the embassy, the embassy calls the Philadelphia field office, the Philadelphia field office gets in touch with McGonigal, and that's where the tip lands up getting high prominence inside the the headquarters of the FBI, because maybe the people who launched that investigation and gave us that tip were actually very interested in that particular tip becoming a big investigation. Maybe the desire to have Donald Trump links to Russia, maybe that was quite big because they knew that could be managed. Whether if they had done the real thing, which would have been, was there any foreign influence involving the election of Donald Trump? Now, that would have been a very different result. But they didn't. They just focused narrowly on Trump-Russia. So was that narrow focus just on Trump-Russia designed to not only launch the investigation, but also cripple the investigation at its start? Because as we know, Russia was only one of the main players involved in the attack on democracy in 2016. And certainly if a guy like McGonagall is, is compromised, and we know Rod Rosenstein was later finding his way to work for the Israelis at the, at the NSO group, those are questions that you really have to start thinking about. Were other nations involved in the setting up of the Trump-Russia investigation at the headquarters? Were other nations involved in supporting Mr. McGonagall or other FBI agents in corrupting them? And in fact, we are aware that there was, if I recall, correctly in the Mueller investigation, a question around George Papadopoulos. It seemed to me that Mueller was wanted to declare George Papadopoulos a agent of the Israeli state. And he didn't. But maybe he was an agent of the Israeli state. That would be interesting. If Israel 
and an Israeli agent calls up and says, hey, Donald Trump may be getting help from Russia. Look at those guys. Look at Russia. Then you start to understand why it was such an imperative to get this investigation started by the FBI, to get to the headquarters of FBI and get them to launch this massive investigation into whether Trump was involved with Russia. But maybe it was a way to make him unconvictable because he, all the other nations he was involved in could not be investigated. So those are the three questions I, would, I think are very valid in asking up at this point. But I also think we need to ask this next question, which is, was McGonagall involved in the GRU hack and leak, in the investigation of those hacks and leaks, I should say? This is from the Russia investigation from the Senate Intelligence Committee. Wasserman Schultz told the committee that she was never told that the FBI had any interest in or requested access to the DNC servers. In fact, Wasserman Schultz said that she understood that the DNC cooperated with the FBI through the transition to the new servers and that if there was a request, we most definitely would have provided access to our servers. But Wasserman Schultz told the committee that she believed her imperative as chair was to address the intrusions and make sure that whatever information the FBI would have, they got it. That's a very interesting statement there by Wasserman Schultz, alleging perhaps that they weren't getting all the information they needed from the FBI. It goes on in this next paragraph to say, Trainer, who is, by the way, a cyber division unit chief, an AD trainer, who was looking at this investigation. Trainer recalled that Henry and Sussman had expressed frustration that the FBI had not notified the DNC of the fancy bear and cozy bear intrusion earlier. But as Trainer pointed out to Henry and Sussman, the FBI had notified the DNC quickly and repeatedly about fancy bear intrusions in March to April 2016. So why is this important? It's important because it seems that during the GRU DNC investigation by the FBI, there was some conflict. It wasn't as clean cut. It wasn't, it wasn't fully cooperating between these two sides. And it makes sense, really, when you consider that the, the political environment into which they were launching this investigation. We had all come through months and months of emails, investigations by the FBI, having just had Hillary Clinton cleared by Jim Comey. And then here comes another investigation from the FBI. And I want to point you to this a note again here. This is from the Russian investigation at this volume five of the Senate Investigation Intelligence Committee. The DNC was hesitant to engage with the Bureau on the matter of the political organization being under attack by a foreign country's intelligence services. Owing to resonant tensions stemming from the FBI's investigation into Hillary Clinton's email servers. Further complicating matters, the DNC IT staff did not understand the nature of the threat it faced. Despite multiple entreaties from the FBI agent at the Washington field office, the committee investigated allegations that the FBI did not properly escalate its concerns about the DNC hack and that the DNC did not fully cooperate with the FBI. The committee found that communication on both sides was inadequate, further confusing, and already complex situation. That doesn't sound like a very clean investigation. It does sound like a lot may have gone wrong, that communication may have broken down. At the end of the day, if you've got parties that are suspicious of each other, and can you imagine a the leading political party in the country being suspicious of the FBI, the leading investigators in the country, well, that certainly creates attention. Why were they so suspect? Well, they've just come through all these months about emails being stored in a home server. Completely nonsense. But nevertheless, the FBI, the FBI was investigating it. It all actually reminds me a lot of what's going on right now with 
Joe Biden and the documents, uh, the classified documents fiasco. Really, do we care this much about whether the president of the United States has some old documents at his home? Not really. We only care about it because the other former president of the United States appeared to be selling them on the world market to the highest bidder and compromising our CIA operations. That's why we care about it. But no, we shouldn't be spending time investigating Joe Biden, who's clearly a very patriotic president, for leaving a few documents behind at home. Give me a break. It's ridiculous. It's the same kind of thing that we're seeing here way back in 2016 when you've got Hillary Clinton's emails, but so what? Jesus, we all have emails stored in various places. We, we all wish we could be completely buttoned down and secured, but let's face it, it's tough to be buttoned down and secured with so many email accounts, with so many different gadgets, so many devices. If there's an email missing and going in the wrong place, maybe the IT department should answer for it and not the politicians in question, because really, what are we doing? So the DNC was tested to engage in this investigation, obvious reasons why. I think it's worthy asking the question, was McGonagall actually involved in this investigation? What was his responsibility in this investigation? Could he have in some way influenced the results of this investigation? We know that Roger Stone was talking to WikiLeaks. We know that, sorry, to Guccifer, and that Guccifer was talking to WikiLeaks and that we were getting all this made a dump of material that came down the line from Russian intelligence agencies. It seems to me that if you've got that happening, someone like Roger Stone would be investigated. Someone like Roger Stone would be questioned. And yet throughout that whole period of 2016 in the summer, nothing seemed to happen with that very vast investigation. I, yeah, I think it's worthy asking of that question. Was he involved in the GRU hack investigations and in the ultimate leaks of those investigations? Because nothing ever came of those investigations, frustratingly. All right, so now it's the George Papadopoulos. And this is from the Inspector General's report, Horowitz's report on the origins of 2016. So by March 2016, Papadopoulos, Page, and Flynn were among several individuals serving as foreign policy advisors for the Trump campaign. Manafort joined the Trump campaign in March 2016 as the campaign convention manager. In the weeks that followed, Papadopoulos met with officials of an FFG in European city that had arranged several meetings in May 2016 to engage with members of the Trump campaign. During one of these meetings, Papadopoulos reportedly suggested to an FFG official that the Trump campaign received some kind of suggestion from Russia that it could assist the campaign by anonymously releasing derogatory information about presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. However, the FFG did not provide information about Papadopoulos' statements to the U.S. government at the time. So that's interesting. That will happen back in March 2016. There's some indication to this foreign delegate that there is potentially help coming from Russia. It doesn't get to the FBI until much later. So during October 2015, if you look at the footnotes below, testimony before the House Judiciary Committee and House Committee on Government Reform and Oversight, Papadopoulos stated that the source of the information he shared with the FFG official was a professor from London, Joseph Mifsud. Papadopoulos testified that Mifsud provided him with this information about the Russians possessing dirt on Hillary Clinton. Papadopoulos raised the possibility of during that congressional testimony that Mifsud might have been working with the FBI by, and this was some sort of operation to entrap Papadopoulos. As discussed in the chapter 10 of this report, the OHBI's database of confidential human sources and did not find any records indicating that Mifsud was an FC, FBI a confidential human source or that Mifsud's discussions with Papadopoulos were part of the FBI operation. In chapter 10, it took until July 26, 2016, four days after the weekly published, publicly released hacked emails from the DNC that the FFG officials finally did call a U.S. government official in the European city about an urgent matter that required in-person meeting. 
At the meeting, the official informed the U.S. government official of the meeting with Papadopoulos. The foreign government official also provided information from the foreign government official following the May 2016 meeting here in, uh, in Tier in after referred to as the FFG information. So this is the Australian High Commissioner, I believe, or the British High Commissioner in Australia. From it's got funnel from George Papadopoulos all the way through through this foreign official, and then it lands up at the FBI on July 26 after being first discussed in March 2016. So let's put that back up our our timeline over here because it's really fascinating to and instructive for us to see how this falls into the timeline of July, you can see that just a few weeks after Comey clears Clinton in the original email scandal, here comes George Papadopoulos's tip that goes to Charlie McConigal directly at the FBI headquarters via the Philadelphia office. And that's on July 26th. And by July 31st, Crossfire Hurricane was launched, a very significant investigation. So Crossfire Hurricane, just to remind everybody, was the investigation that the FBI launched in order to, to investigate whether there were any real ties between Trump and Russia. This is a counterintelligence investigation, if I'm not mistaken. And it's described in its blurb as this. This investigation is being opened to determine whether individuals associated with the Trump campaign or are witting or of and or coordinating activities with the government of Russia. That was the scope of the investigation of Crossfire Hurricane. It was a messy investigation. Of course, it never really got anywhere. Crossfire Hurricane was just this ginormous mush that never really achieved very much. At one point, Peter Strzok gave up. He was like, I don't know what I can do with this. I can't get access to the finances of Donald Trump. How can I possibly investigate whether he's been bribed? And therefore, this thing just sputtered along all the way through July. We'll tell you a little bit later on about how there was conflict with the, the conflicting information around the steel dossier that was never investigated by Crossfire Hurricane. It was a messy investigation. Now, admittedly, a very unusual investigation that, that was certainly very important and didn't quite fulfill everyone's needs. But you can see you've got a summer full of activity. And just that one month in July, you've got so much FBI interference in the political process is quite uncanny. Between one press conference saying, hey, Hillary Clinton is cleared in the next launching of an investigation into Donald Trump. And then this third piece of it, which is really, who is George Papadopoulos? Is he representing Israel? Is that who is actually setting up this tip to get into the hands of Charlie McGonigal? And how is that important? It's important because we're also looking at Charlie McGonigal's investigation connections potentially with other people in the Israel orbit, in the Bibi Netanyahu orbit. Is he, in fact, related to any of those people in orbit financially? Is he getting money from any of people in Bibi's orbit? And is there a connection there between those two things? We don't know the answer. We just do not know the answer to that. But knowing that Papadopoulos was either being influenced by the Israelis, which certainly have a very important influence in that. So now let's go into the next slide here. Just, so this is, again, we're dealing with George Papadopoulos and that investigation. And and by the way, I, I think there's a comment here saying that the Comey, was, the Comey information that I provided is correct. So there was no issue with the data we provided earlier. So I might have said that, but just to, to repeat it to people if, you're not catch, if you didn't catch it earlier on. So from July 28th to July 31st, information on whether... I'm sorry, let me get the slide up for you so you guys can follow along at the same time. Are we here? Boy, it's a big it's a big deck of cards tonight because it is a big scandal. I think that we're beginning to understand the scope of this of this giant scandal. It really is beyond what we thought 
when we first started to investigate the small FBI agent that might have been, you know, compromised. I wanted to jump back in and allow us all an opportunity to listen to Rachel Bittercoffer and her analysis of last night's State of the Union address. It was an incredible tour de force by the President of the United States last night, an address that not only presented an ambitious agenda for the future, a vision for the future, which is really unrivaled by any presidents in living history, maybe even in all of American history, a remarkable plan to rebuild America from the middle out, uh, a plan that celebrates blue collar workers and a man and plan that really seems to have uh, engaged uh, the American population in a very real way. Now, of course, it was interesting that he was heckled and jeered by Mary uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, amongst many others um, in, within the Republican caucus. This may be the way that politics looks like these days, but in, in, in this particular occasion, on this particular day, it looks like Biden won versus the GOP and MTG. I had a fascinating conversation with Rachel Bittercoff, the political strategist, about her thoughts from last night. Here's that interview. So here it says that from, from 20th July to July 31st, at FBI headquarters, they were assessing the FFG, the foreign government information, and the way that warranted opening a counterintelligence investigation. The assistant director for for a CD, I'm not sure what that is, but it's for CD, E.W. Bill Priestap, was a central figure in these discussions. According to Priestap, he discussed the matter with the then section chief of CD's counter-espionage section, Peter Strzok, as well as the section chief of CD's counterintelligence analysis section, Intel section chief, and with representatives of the FBI's Office of the General Counsel, including Deputy General Counsel Tricia Anderson and the a unit chief, OGC unit chief and OGC's National Security and Cyber Law Branch, NSCLB. Priestap told us that he also discussed the matter with either the Deputy Director Andrew McCabe or the Executive Assistant Director Michael Steinbuck, but he did not recall discussing the matter with the Director James Comey and told that the OIG that he did not recall being briefed on the FFG information until after the Crossfire Hurricane investigation was opened and that he was not involved in the decision to open the case. McCabe said, that although he did not specifically recall meeting with Comey immediately after the FFG information was revealed, it was the kind of thing that you would have brought directly to Director Comey's attention immediately, no doubt. There are so many questions now that we have to go back, realizing that there was some sort of potential compromise going on in the, in the offices of the FBI, where potentially foreign governments were involved in buying off agents. You have to wonder, why didn't Jim Comey know about how, how could it be that he did not know about Crossfire Hurricane? How is it possible that the FBI director, who just weeks earlier was so obsessed with another candidate's email service that he gave his own press conference, now he doesn't even, he's not even aware that a counterintelligence operation is happening? How is that possible? How is that even possible? And then the suggestion that McCabe is making here is that Comey did know, but he's hiding it. That's a question too. Why did that happen? How did that happen? And as you're reading the section, you might be saying, wait, wait, didn't you say that this particular tip went to, to Charlie McConigal? Yeah, it did go to Charlie McConigal. And in fact, at the sentence above here, the same day the EC was emailed to the section chief of the Cyber Counterintelligence Coordination section at the FBI. That is Charlie McConigal. So that's just above that red circle where I have it, that line above there, it says that the information for the EC was emailed to the section chief of the Cyber Counterintelligence Coordination section at the FBI. So guess what? That puts Charlie McGonigal right in the middle of things as this 
be a very large tip that is potentially launching the largest investigation ever into a president and their affiliations with the foreign government. And he's mentioned in one way, just there, you say he gets the tip, but then later on, there are no discussions. He's not even involved in the discussions in the OIG report. It seems unusual to me that the guy who got the tip with his experience in cyber and counterintelligence would not be getting this information directly and being part of the conversation with everybody, including you'd expect the director, Jim Comey, to be involved in that kind of stuff. I am asking in genuine, genuine concern about what happened at the FBI, because that kind of thing could happen again and again. There have been so many allegations that this particular FBI investigation was not quite right, especially as we got into October and November and the New York field office's involvement in the Wiener emails, especially then. It certainly began to stink then. But the fact that we had now Crossfire Hurricane being a bit of a disappointment on many levels, the fact that we have this lack of visibility or transparency with even the director of the FBI, and the fact that the tip went from an agent of Israel's, we believe potentially an agent from Israel, of Israel's, all the way into the hands of Charlie McGonigal, who's potentially being paid off by Albania and who knows who else, Der Oleg Deripaska maybe, it's not clean. There's, you can say this is a clean looking thing. You've got to be asking questions about whether there was real prosecutorial missteps in how this was investigated and why so little was discovered at the time. Am I asking questions that are just ridiculous or how come we've been in this situation where we've got this guy, this investigator at the FBI who's in charge of cyber counterintelligence. And of course, this is how so much of this happened. And we've got questions around the GRU thing. We've got questions around Papadopoulos over here. We've got questions around the hack of the DNC. We've got questions around how there was a leak to WikiLeaks and Roger Stone. And now we have questions around Crossfire Hurricane. And you know, someone on, online is saying it's terrifying. It is terrifying because we're going to have another election soon. And guess what? They're going to be investigating classified documents. That's going to be Joe Biden's emails, potentially. These are the kinds of things that we need to discuss now in the peace and quiet of the midterms or post-midterm that we have now. We should be really figuring out how we're going to safeguard the elections in 2024 so there isn't so much investigating and interruption of the normal political processes by FBI investigations. Because it's so easy to go up and say, hey, the, this person may have committed this crime, let's launch an investigation. But it can color the entire process. If we're going to be doing investigating and clearing people or whatever, let's do it be well before we get into election season. The election season should be pure and uninterrupted by these committees, by FBI, by anybody else. And certainly now with the history of the FBI, if these, some of these things are borne out to be accurate and the, the allegations, there might have been some mis missteps in the FBI investigations, then it's going to really color whatever the FBI does going forward. Every minute of Narrative's reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives. One day you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow 
to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative. Where truth lives.